0: joining us for the first time, we'd like to welcome you to New Life Church Online, and today we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke called The the Mission of Jesus. And today we will see again how the Lord introduces the, the Pharisees to us, and we'll be discussing that a little bit. But of course, the public ministry of our Lord has started already in chapter 4, and the ministry started with the, with the Big Bang, wasn't it? Jesus' message about repentance, and then Jesus following that with miracles, it was powerful for all to see. But of course, this emphasis and this impetus didn't last for for too long, because the Pharisees, who were the the teachers of the law, quickly began to be suspicious, and of course, that led to being them critical. And then eventually, they became outright opponents, who were seeking occasion to accuse Jesus And also looking for a means of destroying him. So last week we were introduced to the Pharisees at the healing of the the paralytic. Remember he was lowered through the roof of the house in which Jesus was teaching. We saw that um, in chapter 5 verse 16 to 26. And when Jesus informed the paralytic that his sins were forgiven, the Pharisees reacted very badly. And they said they reasoned correctly that only God could forgive sins. They could not deny the healing of the paralytic, but they were unwilling to receive Jesus as God. In today's passage, we study the calling of Levi or Matthew. We will also look at the banquet at which Jesus and sinners intermingled, which was another occasion for the scribes and the Pharisees to criticize Jesus. So the the title of my message this morning is The Power of Christ's grace. And we'll be looking at Luke chapter 5 from verse 26 to verse 32, if you would read with me. Luke chapter 5, verse 26 to verse 32. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And, Levi, and, sorry, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Recently, we tried to take our eldest son to the doctor. He had been complaining about a headache for about nine days, And it was not going away, and it was causing him much pain. And Kerry was concerned that he was dehydrated or that he had a problem with high blood pressure. Anyway, we took him to the nearest hospital here where we live. But as soon as we got there, we noticed that all the entrances to the hospital were closed except one. And there was one entrance that we had to go through, and we had to stand in a queue, and we had to register, and we had to wait. And we asked to see a pediatrician or a normal GP. But somehow, we ended up in the queue for coronavirus testing because Ezra had some of the symptoms. Of course, this was very scary. And the doctors and nurses were all wearing their protective gear and their their hazmat suits. It was like a scene from E.T. But once we finally got to see the doctor, she did a few quick tests and asked us why we were there. And the doctor responded by telling us that we should not have brought Ezra to the hospital. She told us very firmly that the doctors were needed to care for the sick and to treat those who were infected and and not those who just had a headache. Well, thankfully we got the medicine that he needed and we returned home safely. But this whole incident reminded us of these words that Jesus said in Luke chapter 5. Verse 31, our passage this morning, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus said these words to the Pharisees who thought that they were basically good people, that they were spiritually well. And Jesus goes on to say in the next verse, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So our passage this morning contains one of the most clarifying and defining statements that Jesus ever made about the uniqueness of Christianity. So my first point this morning is the conversion of Levi. And we see that in verse 27 and verse 28. And after this, he went and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So Levi is called by this name in the gospel of Luke and Mark. In the gospel of Matthew he is called Matthew. And Matthew and Levi are the, the same people, the same person. Matthew is the Greek name and Levi is the Hebrew name. So Levi was a tax collector. He worked for the Romans who were obviously the people who had invaded Israel at that point, and he was gathering taxes for the Romans, but taking them from the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And the Roman government would establish an amount at the end of the year that had to be paid, and anything beyond that the the tax gatherers could keep for themselves. Uh, Levi was one of these tax gatherers. Um, There were fixed taxes, and there were poll taxes. And there were duties of all kinds. It was very similar to a type of a, of a mafia. And they could stop people at any point. They could search their goods. They could tax their letters. They could tax their, their produce. They could tax what they, they bought at the markets. They could tax the, them as export or uh, as import. And they could do that randomly. And they could do that and enforce it with the, with the, with the thugs who would harm the people who didn't pay. And Levi, unfortunately, ran this kind of operation. And obviously, the, the Jews um, that, that did this were hated and despised. And Levi was one of these hated and despised Jews. He extorted people. He probably took bribes from rich people. He probably abused the, the poor people and did it all under the authority of the, the Roman government. And of course, the Jews believed that the only way the the only person that they ever wanted to pay tribute to was God. So they despised all of this, having to give money to the, the Roman emperor, the Roman government. I think it is safe to say that all tax collectors were very unpopular people. They were synonymous with sinner. And really on the same social level as gluttons or drunkards and prostitutes. This was the bottom rung of the Jewish social ladder. You couldn't sink any further as a Jew. And according to the, the Jewish rabbis, there was no hope for a man like Levi. He was excluded from the religious fellowship, and tax gatherers were, were not allowed in the synagogue because they were considered unclean. They were classified with unclean animals that were part of the the ceremonial law. Um, They were classified with Gentiles. They couldn't come into a synagogue or they they would desecrate the the whole facility. They were forbidden even to give testimony in a a court of law because they were considered to be liars. They were greedy, they were dishonest and heartless, and they didn't really have a concern for the poor people, the the widows or, or the orphans. And of course they loved money, that's why they did this. They loved money so much that they were willing to be despised, they were willing to be excommunicated from the synagogues, and they were happy to be classified with with the robbers and the murderers and the prostitutes because because of the money, because of the money that they were receiving from this um, occupation. And the good life, of course, that they were able to enjoy outweighed the negatives, or so they thought, outweighed the the social implications, and they were willing to face and bear the scorn of their fellow Jews. And unfortunately, Levi was was one of these people. And so it was that Jesus passed by the tax office where Levi was and invited him to follow him as a disciple. And Luke alone tells us that Levi, much like the fishermen Peter, Andrew, James, and John, at the beginning of the chapter, left everything and followed the master. Now, these few verses are are very short in their account. I think it is possible that Luke is compressing the story for impact. There was probably a a longer process that was involved. Probably Levi had heard Jesus teach the, the crowds who had gathered nearby. Uh, Jesus was well known as a miracle worker, as a teacher, as the one who announced that God would forgive the, the sins of the poor, the sins of the prisoners, the sins of the blind and the oppressed. So, no doubt, Levi had heard reports of Jesus' miracles and of how he had told the paralytic friend, Your sins are forgiven. He had heard this. But this was his context. Levi had obviously come to the conclusion in his own heart that he was a wretched and a miserable sinner, that he was a poor, blind, and, and oppressed person, as Isaiah had already spoken about. He had obviously come to the conclusion that, that he was filled with sin. And in spite of all the money that he was making, in spite of all the power that that he exercised and all the authority that he had over people, he was still very miserable and very distressed and very burdened by his sin. Jesus must have looked into his heart and seen all of this very clearly. And we see Jesus authoritatively commands Levi, follow me. The scripture tells us that Levi walked away from his tax office. He left his greedy profession and he obeyed the call of Jesus. Jesus knew the heart of this man. And this is an explicit command. Notice there in the scriptures, follow me. It's not a suggestion. He didn't say to him, well, if you can kind of clean up your act and you've got some talents I can use, why don't you come and join me? He didn't say that. He knew his heart. He could read his heart like an open book. And notice also that, that Jesus took the initiative here. This was Jesus, not Levi, that was coming. Jesus took the initiative. Scripture is clear that there are none who seek after God until God first seeks after them. We see that in, in the book of Romans. We also see that in the book of John. Jesus said in in John chapter 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We see that in verse 44. We also see in verse 66, No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. So the difference in Levi's life and the reason for his radical response to to give up his greedy way of life and to, and to follow Jesus, it was not due to Levi's decision to change or to become a better person. Rather, it was because of Christ's power to save. Christ's power to save. So whether someone is an outwardly terrible sinner as Levi was or a self-righteous sinner as the apostle Paul was, There is always hope, and I want you to see that this morning. Who would have thought that this greedy, hard-hearted tax collector would become a disciple and write the the first gospel? Nobody. Imagine what the other disciples must have thought when, when Jesus called Levi. Or imagine what the early church thought when the Lord called Paul. But the Lord is in the business of calling those whom the world thinks to be unlikely candidates for salvation. There's a lesson here for us. And we need to be careful never to despair of anyone's salvation. So long as they are alive. Especially after reading a case like this. We must never say of anyone that he is too wicked or or too hardened or, or too worldly to become a Christian. No sins are too many. No sins are are too bad to be forgiven by Jesus. No heart is too hard or too worldly to be changed by Jesus. He who called Levi still lives today and is still in the business of saving sinners. With Christ, nothing is impossible. It is to God's glory to save the most desperately wicked. Christ did not come to call the righteous but sinners. So the scripture says. And when Christ effectually calls a sinner, the Holy Spirit convinces them of their sin. He enlightens them in the knowledge of Christ. And He renews their will and persuades and enables them to put their faith and their trust in Jesus. the result is that the sinner freely and willingly repents and trusts in Christ alone for salvation. And that powerful, effectual word of Christ is the only biblical explanation for the conversion of a sinner like Levi into the apostle Matthew. Be hopeful. Be encouraged. If you've been praying for a lost loved one or a friend or a colleague for a long time, don't give up. Be hopeful. Keep praying. Keep sharing the gospel. It's not by our methods that people come to Christ. It's not by our convincing or by our skills that someone comes to the Lord. It is through Christ's power to save. It is through Christ. This leads me to our next point. The second point, the friend of sinners. We see that in verse 29 and verse 30. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Notice here, when Levi responds to Jesus' call, he throws a party. And isn't that the only right response for a person who has received and discovered the grace of God in Jesus Christ? They are to rejoice, isn't it? This is an appropriate response. Shouldn't there be that kind of rejoicing when we, when we come to worship the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins that He has, that he has given to us? And Levi must have thought, He's just called me. He's just saved me. Let's celebrate. And he throws a party. And he invites all his tax collector friends because he wants them to meet Jesus as well. No man who has tasted grace wants to go to heaven alone. Let me repeat that. No man who has tasted grace wants to go to heaven alone. And the truth is if you if you don't care about other sinners joining you in glory, then you probably have never experienced this grace of the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This man doesn't want to go to heaven alone. He wants all his tax collector buddies and sinner friends to be there and to meet this Lord Jesus who knew everything that he did and had forgiven his sins. Because this man is worth giving up everything for. But the Pharisees are there as well, notice. And they didn't like the fact that Jesus is associating with tax collectors and sinners. And so they attack his disciples. They're grumbling and they're complaining, it says. Look what they say. Why are you guys uh, hanging out with sinners? Verse 30. So Luke has been very careful. Notice he did not at any point call the guests at his reception sinners. This is the Pharisees who are doing this. The Pharisees... Do not hesitate to use this label. So you can imagine the Pharisees curling up their, their lips at this word sinners as it's spoken by them. And this is a, an important thing that we see in this narrative here. It's important for us to understand. The Pharisees had a different understanding or different definition for a sinner and for the, for the righteous, they were totally two different people in two totally separate social classes in their community, in their society. Look with me, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We see this very clearly here in this parable that Jesus speaks. In Luke chapter 18, we see these two different these definitions that are defined here. Um, In verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that were righteous and treated others with contempt. And here's the parable. In verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this Even here in this parable, we have the Pharisees and we have a tax collector. But notice how they define these terms. From this parable, Jesus told us we see this distinction. We see this difference between the Pharisaic definition of these terms and that of what Jesus used. The Pharisees thought that the righteous were, of course, far superior to sinners. And according to the Pharisees, the the righteous held the the right social and racial positions. Sinners could not. Sinners did not. That that was forbidden. And the righteous were far better than than sinners, according to the Pharisaic view. But according to them, the, the righteous were holy because they they followed rules and they did not do certain things and they, they did do other things and they, they kept the law of, of Moses as, as they interpreted it. And the Pharisees thought of righteousness only in terms of rituals or traditions or ceremonies or even their self-righteous sacrifices. Remember, they fasted in public in front of everybody to be seen. And the righteous Pharisees also believed it was correct to despise the the sinner and to separate, to exclude themselves from them. They saw themselves as holy because of what they would not do, where they would not go, and with whom they would not associate with. You can imagine what a blow this must have been to their system to have Jesus now come onto the scene doing virtually the opposite of all that that they did, of all that they taught, and, and claiming to be God at the same time. What a humbling thing it must have been for the Pharisees to be present at this party that Levi has put on for his friends with Jesus. I'm sure the only reason these Pharisees were present at Levi's banquet was because they were afraid to let Jesus go unsupervised and, and unchallenged and unchecked. And here in the passage, Jesus addresses them at this party. And Jesus reminds these righteous Pharisees that the essence of true religion is not tradition. It's not ceremony. It's not ritual. The essence of true Religion is compassion. And the compassion which God calls for is that which has concern for the well being of one's neighbor, including sinners, including Gentiles. This was something which Pharisees would not do, and they wouldn't do it in the name of holiness. What a hypocritical contradiction. But Jesus came to call sinners because he was compassionate rather than condemning. And we'll look more about this application later on. But Jesus' answer here reflects the difference between the heart of God and the, the heart of the, the Pharisees. And my last point this morning is Jesus' response to the Pharisees, to their question. Look at verse 31 and verse 32. Jesus answers the Pharisees, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The sick need the physician. And Jesus compared sinners to sick people. When you are sick, when you are really sick, you need to see a doctor to to get well, isn't it? And the doctor knows the right medicine to cure your illness. And without the doctor's care, you will remain sick and maybe even get worse. I remember in India, while Kerry and I were working in the counseling center at a missions hospital, a 16-year-old youth was brought in. He was admitted with a, with a cancerous tumor that was, that was growing in his mouth and reaching down into his throat and blocking his windpipe. And the tumor was spreading rapidly, and it was getting difficult or almost impossible for, for him to breathe. And the doctors examined him and told his father that he needed to urgently they, the doctors needed to urgently remove a portion of his, of his tongue to stop the cancer from spreading and growing any further. Of course, the father, he was horrified, and he, he objected by saying, "No." Absolutely not I, I will never allow anybody to disfigure my my son's face. He has his whole life in front of him he's sixteen years old Well, after repeated pleas to to listen to the doctor's advice and and to take the necessary treatment that was required, the father still said no, and he eventually discharged his son and he angrily took him out of the hospital. Well, we found out two days later that this 16-year-old youth had died. He had died. And the doctors knew what the correct treatment was. But the father of this youth, he refused it with terrible, tragic consequences. The great physician has come to heal us of our greatest spiritual sickness, if we are willing to listen to the diagnosis and receive the prescribed treatment. And Pedro reminded us last week, our greatest need is not physical healing, but spiritual healing. We heard on Easter Sunday that the the greatest threat in the world is not the coronavirus. The greatest threat is dying without the risen Savior. The angel Gabriel told us in Matthew 1 that Jesus was coming to save sinners from their sins. We need the Savior. We need Jesus who will save us from our sins. If anyone dies in their sins, they will stand before God and face the judgment. In fact, if you do not realize seriously, that you are a, a sinner, then there is, there is little hope of your being saved from your sins. If you continue to justify your sins and make excuses for them and not willing to admit, as the Bible shows us, that you are indeed a sinner, then there is little hope for you if you are not willing to see the diagnosis. And this is the sad irony in, in what Jesus says to the, the Pharisees here. The Pharisees thought of themselves as righteous and and spiritually healthy. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, look, you guys don't need what I have. It's these sinners out there who need what I have to offer. There's irony here. There's almost sarcasm here. It's not that the Pharisees didn't need what what Jesus had to offer. It's that, that they didn't think they needed what Jesus had to offer. Every single one of us is either sitting where the tax collectors are or we're sitting where the Pharisees are. If you don't know that you're a sinner, if you don't know that you need grace, you're sitting in the Pharisees' chair. If you're a sinner who thinks your sin is just one step beyond the reach of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's what Jesus is saying to you this morning. I have come to call sinners. Jesus said in verse 32, I am here for sinners. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That is the heart of the gospel, beloved. It's for sinners. It's for sinners. In another parable recorded by Matthew in his gospel in chapter 22, Jesus goes out and he, he asks all the people of Israel, the righteous, to come to the banquet for His Son, and none of them will come. They don't think they, they need to. And so He says, well, just go into the highways and the byways and, and get all the, the lowlifes and bring them into the banquet." And he rejects the Pharisees in, in Luke 18, who's telling him how good he is. And he embraces the publican who's, who's beating on his breast and crying out for mercy. So, Folks, I tell you this morning, God offers you grace. He offers you mercy. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you compassion. And he'll forgive all your sins if you will come to him. If you will come to the banquet, if you are willing to acknowledge that you are indeed a sinner in light of a holy God and that you need his grace, that you need his forgiveness. And he offers that mercy today. But he can't do anything for people who are self-righteous. He can't and he will not do anything for people who think that they are okay. He can't do anything for people who think that they're righteous, who think that they're good. He came to call sinners to repentance. So the church is not made up of the righteous. It's made up of penitent sinners. It's not made up of those who who think they're good. It's made up of of people who know that they're nothing, that they're not good without Christ. It's not made up of people who have brought the the righteousness up to God as a a satisfaction. It's made up of people from who God's righteousness has come down as a covering. God is merciful. And in His mercy, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on our behalf, on your behalf, in your place. If you repent and trust in Him, you will receive eternal life with Him in place of the, the second death, in place of the eternal separation from God that we deserve. Come to Christ today. What a glorious gospel we have, folks. What, what glorious news, good news we have. We have a redeemer. We have a, a friend of sinners who is willing to pay the price that we should have paid for the judgment of our sins. Now, sadly, the truth is many people will consider their mortality during this pandemic. And when this threat is over and past, they will, they will return back to their, their normal lives, forgetting their, their brush with disease and death. And don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. I beg you this morning. You know, death comes to 10 out of 10 people. It's a guarantee. There's nothing we can do to avoid it. Death rate from sin is 100%. And when you die, you will stand before God and face His judgment. Come to Christ today. Christian, let me leave you with this thought this morning. Can you imagine a doctor's office with a, a sign on the door? We do not treat sick people. Of course, that would be absurd, wouldn't it? But we need to be careful that we are not a church that implies that message to the lost world around us. The church should be very welcoming of sinners who are looking for the Savior. The church should be full of not just good people only, but where sinners are are welcome. Jesus did not come to call good people but to call sinners to repentance. So how are we doing, New Life Church? How are we doing with our evangelism? Are we being intentional? Are we looking for opportunities to penetrate our society with this good news, with the saving grace of God? How are we doing? Let me read this quote from J.C. Ryle. He is... He was a well-loved bishop of, of Liverpool, and he wrote in his commentary on Luke the following words. He says, The heart which is really taught by the Holy Ghost will always be full of love, will always be full of charity, will always be full of compassion. And the soul which has been truly called of God will earnestly desire that others may experience the same calling. A converted man will not wish to go to heaven alone. Do we have this compassion, church? If we have this compassion, we will not spend all of our time and all of our energy condemning sinners, but rather we will call them to repentance. If we desire to be faithful with the the great commission that the Lord has given us, we must obey our calling by calling sinners to repentance. We must learn to have contact with sinners, not be like the Pharisees, not exclude ourselves, in such a way that that, they are, uh, that we are approachable, that they feel comfortable coming to us and talking to us about their problems that they are experiencing. This is what our Lord did, and this is what our Lord calls us to do. If we are not willing to invite and welcome outsiders to our church, because We think we are holier than them. And we are as guilty as the the Pharisees by by not showing compassion to sinners, by not willing to have contact with them. We need to be intentional, folks, so that we can have opportunities to share the gospel. This is a real struggle. This is not something new. This is not something that I'm making up. This is not something that I'm just pointing out in our church. This is something that churches throughout the ages have struggled with. And the Apostle Paul saw this and identified this problem. And he corrected them in a, in a similar manner. Um, look, at the, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We, we see him doing this to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. So they had some misconceptions. He says, or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother who is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So what he's saying here is, I, I didn't say that you mustn't mingle with unbelievers. You have to mingle with them. You have to associate with them so that you can share the gospel with them. That's what he's saying. But he, he's saying, someone who's calling themselves a brother and is still involved in some, some of this wicked um, se- sexual sin, he says, those are the people that you don't associate with. You don't even have food with them. he's not talking about unbelievers. He says if that was the case, then we would have to go live in a cave. And that's the last thing he wants Christians to do. That's the last thing Jesus wants Christians to do. And these words of Paul apply to us today as well. Let us not be like the the self-righteous Pharisees and avoid associating with sinners, but let us rather be faithful in sharing the good news with sinners that are lost in darkness, that need the hope that we have. You know, this pandemic has caused so many people to examine their mortality and their own hearts. People are fearful, and people are afraid of dying. They're afraid of facing isolation, and there's loss of jobs and and a loss of routine, there's a fear. Many people have faced significant financial and and health issues that often bring spiritual issues to the, the forefront. And people tend to be open to Christ during trouble and during this strange time. It's a ripe time. It's a perfect time. It's the time that God has ordained sovereignly in His plan that we as Christians will evangelize those who are in such fear and anxiety. I sent out an article recently. I think it was titled, 10 Ways That We Can Evangelize During This Pandemic. I'll send it out again to to you. Please try to read all of those. But here's just three points that I thought were worth Speaking again, we're worth emphasizing again. Listen to these. Here's one suggestion. Number one, reach out to a lost friend. Ask how they are doing and how you might pray for them during this uncertain time. This is a perfect time to break the ice with non Christian friends you have not spoken with in a while. It's even easier to do it over social media, isn't it? We don't have to have that face to face, sometimes confrontational contact. Second second um, suggestion, use technology to invite friends to church. Host a virtual watch party for your online worship services. And our church service is now online, but you could share the link with other friends, or you could consider hosting a, a watch party on Facebook that notifies your friends and invites them to watch with you. And use the comment section to to interact with people in your watch party uh, during the service and, and follow up with, with them if they have questions um, or, or messages that you can take further with, with deeper conversations. It's a great idea, a great tool right here that we have right here as we sit. Invite your friends to your virtual small groups that you may be having. I know many of us are involved in, in these in home group Ligonier Connect meetings The ladies are doing it, the men are doing it, it, and the the home groups are doing it. A great opportunity for us to invite friends. And if you're already involved in a small group, ask. Ask your friends to invite. People are are really offended when when they are invited to something different, especially if they're alone, especially if they are isolated. You can call or message them and say something like, one thing that's keeping me encouraged and connected during this time is my small group from church. We're meeting on Zoom. Come and join us. I was really blessed this week to hear of a testimony similar to that and how one of, the, uh, one of our church friends' neighbors was were, were, were saying, how is it that you are so busy with your church during this pandemic? The church that I go to has, has no sort of, of meetings. Folks, we have these opportunities. What we need to do is just share a link. We just send it to a friend. It doesn't take a lot, folks, during this time. And our friends, it doesn't take a lot for them to respond during this time. They are in need. As much as we are struggling, the world around us, the world without hope, the world lost in darkness is struggling even more, folks. Be hopeful. Be encouraged. Don't give up. With Christ, nothing is impossible. And he who called Levi still lives today and is still in the business of saving sinners. Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful today for your amazing grace. We are so grateful today for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are just reminded again, Lord, of the work that you have done on the cross for us. There's nothing, Lord, that we could have done to receive your forgiveness. There's no amount of works, Lord, that we could have done to earn your favor. Your word tells us, Lord, that all of our works are like filthy rags, so Lord, there's nothing that we can do, but God, in His grace, you have sent your Son to do the work that we could not do, to pay the price that we could not pay. And we are so grateful today for this wonderful gospel. Lord, we pray that we would not be selfish with this good news, Lord, that we would not keep it for ourselves, that we would not hold this light under the table or under a bush, but Lord, we would let it shine. Father, please, we pray, help us be the ambassadors that you have called us to be. Help us to be thankful and joyful with the gospel that we have received, just like Levi was. Help us, Lord, to be effective in sharing this good news, this hope that we have with those around us. So I ask, Lord, even this week, that you would give us the opportunities that we need. Lord, we pray that you forgive us for when we have not been bold, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not honored your name, where we have denied you. We think of your word where it tells us, Lord, if we deny you, you will deny us. Forgive us for that, Lord. May we be faithful with the opportunities that you give us this week. Give us opportunities, Lord. Help us to be intentional, to tell people about our glorious King, our glorious God who is still in the business of saving sinners. We pray this, Lord, for the, for the glory of your name. We pray this for the fame of your name and for the joy of your people. And we ask this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.